Hey everybody, welcome to Bringing Meditation to Life, a podcast in which we immerse ourselves in the intersection of meditation and everyday life, in which we look at the ways meditation illuminates and deepens our experience of daily living and the ways life itself does the same for our practice. I'm your host, Neil McKinley. So welcome, everybody. Welcome to the other voices aspect of this Bringing Meditation to Life podcast. This is an opportunity for us to learn a little bit about what practice and what life looks like for other meditators I know. And today, it's our good fortune to have Julia Simmons with us. It's our good fortune to be able to sit back and relax, listen, as Julia shares a little bit about her experience with us. So welcome, Julia, and thank you for being here, and thank you for doing this. Thank you. So let's just get a little bit of a sense of you. Can you tell us a little bit about your life as we begin here? Well, um, I grew up in a very, very tiny southern uh, town, southeastern United States, and I was uh, the oldest of uh, three children. My parents uh, were both uh, products of uh, their own uh, significant trauma history. So I uh, grew up with a significant trauma history and uh, knowing also that my parents, you know, did the very, very best that they could. But it was just, you know, I love your your phrase of the the. Uh, interconnected, the vast interconnected web of uh, causes and conditions. And um, yeah, those were the causes and conditions uh, that I was born into. A trauma pre-birth, post-birth, and, you know, throughout the, throughout the childhood. And uh, I began drinking and drugging in order to cope with that went away to, to uh, college and began uh, to try to meditate. You know, I discovered, I learned about meditation in college and began uh, meditating. It was, uh, it was the type of meditation where you focus on a, a prayer and the, the focal referent is a prayer. And, and so I was doing that for a while. And, but my alcohol addiction uh, really, pretty much took that away. Um, and I, I had a very, you know, low bottom with alcohol. And, um, so I grew up in this tiny little town called Pilot Mountain and, uh, moved to another tiny little town to go to college with, you know, zero sense of self, zero relationship skills, but uh, I was kind of glued together, you know, pretty much with alcohol and drugs kind of helped glue me together. 
And then after I graduated from college, which was kind of miraculous that I did, but I, but I did. And my uh, girlfriend and I uh, moved to a sit, moved to Atlanta. And uh, in, in that city, uh, by just this amazing serendipitous uh, series of events, I got connected with a group of people who were doing a breathwork practice. I, you know, ended up getting really involved in that breathwork practice and that and helped that through that I, I was able to get sober. And that was in 1986. And the breathwork really, you know, is a, is it helped, it is a somatic practice. And so I feel like that, you know, was a part of a really important uh, step for me, for the, the good fit for me that this somatic meditation is. But um, so I've, I'm as the child of an alcoholic, my home was was it was violent. It was scary. And there was, you know, guns and it was a very scary situation. And uh, so. My recovery journey involves, you know, several 12-step 12, 12 groups uh, that have been really helpful to me in terms of learning who I am, you know, to developing some kind of functional <laughs> sense of self. Anyway, let's see, I kind of lost my train of thought. Um, <clears throat> in 2002, I started learning about some, you know, so that's when uh, Peter Levine uh, published his book, Waking the Tiger, and started doing the somatic experiencing stuff. So 2002, I started doing some somatic experiencing, which also was another way to connect with my body, which was new for me. Uh, because I, my survival, you know, from childhood very much was about uh, disembodiment. Uh, it, was, it was not a safe place to be in my body. So I, the somatic experiencing also is a is a thing that's very helpful to me in terms of support. It supports my meditation as well. Uh, let's see. I was going to say something, but I lost my train of thought. Well, why don't we pick up that, you know, the somatic thread that you've brought up here? You've mentioned somatic and body based um, a number of times. And it is this feels like it's a, a significant thread through your life and your recovery journey. And it, does that hold true with meditation practice as well? Is embodiment a notable part of that practice for you? Absolutely. Um, that's one of the things I, I wanted to share is I think in... Um, I think it was like it was about eight years ago that I discovered somatic meditation. I hadn't really um, ever, you know, in many years I had wanted to meditate, but I could never sit still. I could never be still. Uh, there was too much activation in my nervous system. When I sat still, I just connected with kind of pretty much raw animal terror. <laughs> Who wants to? get into that, you know. Mm -hmm. So it took many years, I think, of the somatic practice, the breath work, 
and lots of therapy before I could ever even just sit still. And about um, eight years ago, I began, I, I started a, what I would say a formal meditation practice. And I, in, in I think it was 2014, uh, Tammy Simon did, uh, when she did that um, story of her life and her journey, she, she did a little CD or DVD or whatever of that. And I got that. And in that, she talked about uh, her meditation uh, being uh, somatic meditation. And she talked about the uh, whole body breathing and the central channel being how the universe connect, uh, it communicates with you. And I was like, very, like my antenna went up. I was very curious about it. And so I went and I Googled Reggie Ray and I found a bunch of Reggie, Reggie Ray talks on YouTube. And he was always talking about the, uh, the, the ones on YouTube were always about uh, lower belly breathing. And so for about a year, that's what I did. I, I did lower belly breathing for about a year. And then I finally found the, found the website and signed up for a class, which was, you know, and um, so I found, you know, I, so yes, so the somatic meditation is uh, been life-changing for me. Um, and can you flesh that out for, you know, maybe there's people who don't know what somatic meditation is. If we were in an elevator and you had to give like an <laughs> elevator speech, you know, you had three floors, how would you describe somatic meditation and how is it different from what you were doing before? Hmm. Well, um, before uh, the, the, the focus was very cerebral, you know, it was, it was very, cognitive process and the the thing about the somatic meditation that i'm uh finding is that it's um i love you know the language of the body is emotions and energy movement and sensations and so um with a somatic practice, the, the focal referent is the, the, some of these elements, some aspect of the body. And um, in learning this language, in connecting with my body and communicating with my body, uh, what I'm finding is that my... Um, thought of who who I am and and the the tightness the constrictedness around my ego identity is loosening and um yeah I'm just I feel you know a, a little a lot more relaxed than I was I'm not as at war with myself like I don't have to run from myself so much anymore because these these parts uh come up uh, so say, you know, some early emotional experiences come up and I don't, you know, the practice is to, instead of my normal survival mode of turning away from that, of being at war with that, of saying, oh no, that's not a part of me. 
instead of turning away from that, I'm learning how to like turn toward that and welcome it and be with it, sit with it, hold it and let it be, letting it be there. Um, I'll give you an example of, you know, part of my journey prior uh, in early, early sobriety, I really got involved in um, conservative Christianity. And um, as a, as a, I don't know if I would call myself a lesbian. I mean, as a, somebody that's, you know, I'm married to a woman. So there, and, and, but, but whatever that means. And, um, but, um, you know, in conservative Christianity, you know, that's completely unacceptable from, from the, the thread of Christianity that I was involved in. And so, you know, for many years, and I do mean many, many years, you know, if I found myself attracted to a woman, I rebuked it in Jesus name. You know, that there was that constant war with the truth of myself, you know. And so this approach, you know, the somatic meditation process, when 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 things come up that I don't like, about myself, for example, little, you know, fear, fear is a big one for me. I don't have to, you know, rebuke it in Jesus name or, you know, beat up on it in any way. But but, but my practice is to just, wow, be curious about it and let it be there and sit with it. And so I find, you know, in that, that there's, there's real healing in that. In, as opposed to just, you know, continually being at war with myself. Mm. Oh, well, I mean, if healing is, you know, related to the notion of wholeness, it sounds like what you're describing is a process of um, becoming familiar with, becoming friendly with, becoming yeah. inclusive of yeah, whatever it is that your present experience may be. Right. That's, that's it. That's the, pra- that's my, that's the practice, right? That's there. it in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. And it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like, you know, a big part of your approach to through much of your life has been to go in the other direction, not to familiarize or befriend or be curious, but to either push it away or get away as far as you could, as quickly as you could. Yeah. That, that was all I knew, you yeah. know, that was yeah. all I knew. I mean, I was, um, yeah, yeah. I was my, you know, I was my mother's uh, confidant. And so all the little parts that needed, like I, there wasn't anybody for me to turn to. So I didn't, you know, I learned definitely you amputate all neediness, <laughs> you amputate all fear, you amputate all anything that's vulnerable is, is not welcome. Hmm. And so, so, yeah, it took a lot of alcohol and all, all, all kinds of other things, you know, to make that work. So this is a real 180 degree turn, literally. Yes. Yes. It, it's a completely 180 degree. Yeah. And, you know, you, you've said that you, you've been doing this for a while, but, you know, can you take us back? What was it like in the beginning for you to begin to turn toward your life experience. I, I think a lot of us, um, I know I struggle with that newness, you know, the newness of befriending a, a different part of me or the newness of trying to befriend any part of me. So what was it like in the 
the beginning days of developing this practice? Hmm. Well, for starters, I will say, let me just let's go back to the college. I mean, I had no way to turn towards any, you know, anything. So my, um, you know, I wasn't even able to practice. I wasn't able to practice. But as I gradually got to a place where my nervous system was a little more regulated (laughs) so that I could even sit still, you know, at first uh, it was it wasn't it wasn't you know, I had a lot of sadness, you know, there was a lot of uh, grieving that that needed to be done. Uh, I think that's where the breath work really helped me because there was support in that community to to grieve and rage, you know, these these horribly unacceptable things, you know, that our, our very civilized society doesn't uh, is not friendly towards. Mm-hmm. But uh, these, the, the, you know, the grief and the rage, there was support for that to come forward. And hearing others experiencing that helped me hold that in myself. And so I think that was a huge uh, base for me uh, to be able then, when I started this practice, to sit with that, those parts, you know, with myself. Uh, but I spent many years uh, doing the breath work in community where I had to work. It, that was helpful for me to learn, you know, that those, those parts, well, if they can, if they can rage like that, or if they can grieve like that, it must be okay for me too. And, and that was tremendously helpful for me. Can I ask a question about that? I mean, I feel like you're maybe touching upon something that is really important in my experience. And it is that, does your experience suggest perhaps that sometimes there's work we need to do before we meditate in order to regulate to a certain level in order, you know, we talk about meditation as being present. Do we need to have a certain baseline capacity to for presence to actually begin the meditative journey in your experience? I'm 100% convinced, yes, because there was just no way. Because what I've learned about myself is that, you know, my, my trauma started in the womb. And so I had very young life and death terror, terror, you know, like there's no way to turn towards that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just no way, you know, because all those defenses are going to, there's just no way to turn towards it. So it was really, really uh, helpful for me to have not only, you know, lots of therapy, but, 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 but that breath work part that and the somatic experiencing that helped drop underneath all that cognitive stuff and really get that visceral kind of support. So it took me many years. Like I wanted to meditate for many years, but I just, I couldn't, I couldn't, there was too much terror there. Mm. Um, so this strikes me as a really important caution for, you know, people who maybe are thinking like, 
you know, have that sense that you reported a while back, a sense that I have had in my own life, like, okay, meditations, I feel like meditation's got something for me. I feel like the practice holds something for me. Um, So what's the next step? Well, the next step is I'm going to take a class or I'm going to listen to a recording. You know, I feel like what you're offering is a cautionary tale that like, okay, yeah, let's do that. And then pay attention to how it is for you. And you may not be at a one may not yet be at a, a place of stability and regulation where yeah. it's appropriate to to be in that journey. It may have to wait. Absolutely, I'm, I'm, I know that was true for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that seems like a really, really important uh, warning sticker, if you will. Yeah, on meditation practice. Yeah, And I mean, it's interesting, you know, I used to, people used to have asked me over the years, do you think everyone can meditate? And, and, you know, I used to answer yes. And I no longer answer yes. Mm. I'm fully, full agreement with you. I do think that there needs to be a base level of presence in order to engage the practice. And I mean, maybe I don't don't know if this is your experience as well. Even though I've been doing it for years, there are times that I don't have that base level in my present life. Is that something that you've come up against as well? Completely. There, there, especially um, before I retired, a lot of. I mean, this is just in my daily life. At, when I was at work, I experienced wild animal terror you know all day like wild animal terror like so that is not you know that's very difficult to turn towards you know it's just like who you know who's going to actually turn toward that I mean you're just not so yeah it's it's uh, it's tender and uh, warrants respect It's there for a reason. Yeah. And I feel like you've kind of given some some indirect comments in this regard, but you know, let's let's make this explicit because it might be helpful for people. So how how would someone know if someone sits down to meditate, whether it's the first time that they've meditated or whether they're an experienced meditator, how might someone know that okay, meditation's not the tool right now? my dysregulation, my instability, my ability to presence is such that right now, meditation is just not the best tool in the toolkit. Maybe later, but right now, no. What are the warning signs that you've learned or the the signal flares, let's call it the signal flares Hmm. that you've learned? Well, I think, um, I, I, I guess, the anxiety, the level of anxiety is the good barometer, you know, uh, the, the level of panic. Those are, those are things that come up for me. You know, I, a lot of people I know uh, talk about how their, their thought, you know, there's so many, there's just the the thoughts are, won't slow down. There are a lot of thoughts and, self-hatred you know a lot of that kind of thing comes up just that but to to me I think it's just that level of anxiety and panic that comes up when when I'm still with myself you know Uh, so high anxiety high panic may be indicative of okay we need to do something different right now yeah 
Yeah. And, you know, maybe it'd be helpful for people. You've mentioned uh, breath work, you've mentioned therapy, you've mentioned community. Are there other ways that you address those experiences of high uh, anxiety, high panic, you know, in those moments where you recognize, okay, meditation just isn't the most appropriate tool right now. Are there anything, other things that you do? Well, I will tell you uh, really that somatic experiencing uh, process has been very helpful for me because in in that modality, it's a way to discharge some of that trapped energy in the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And I learned how to do it through a book Diane Poole Heller wrote called, it's the one about the car crash. I don't remember the name of it, but anyway, but she, in that book, it just broke it down in a way that I could understand it about how to tune into the body and track the flow of energy so that it releases. And I, you know, in 2002, I, you know, I was single and I would like every night my, my nervous system would be so overstimulated and I would just sit and do that tracking and let my body shake and just let my body shake. And I just would shake. And it's like this, it just naturally happens, you know, when you learn to like track the energy in the body. And that has probably been one of the best things that and the breath work, because it's, it's uh, helping that dysregulated nerve ner- energy, you know, energy discharge. But that that's been very, very helpful for me. And journaling too. I mean, early on, I did a lot of journaling because that was one step that helped me begin to connect with myself mm-hmm. uh, because I could write unedited and and connect with the the emotional aspects of myself that I just couldn't connect with otherwise. But it's anything to discharge that trapped energy, which is uncomfortable because it means crying. It means grieving. It means letting the sadness be there, letting the the anger be there. But it's but that's that's how the nervous system discharges is that and the shaking. That's what I've found to be helpful. And so I imagine that's going to vary from person to person. Some people may find a run is a good way to discharge energy. Some people may find journaling. Some people may find gardening, something to, to get things, allow things to move and connect. Oh yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And then come back to practice and see how it goes. Oh yeah. And that's, it sounds like that's an important part of the process for you to see how it goes. It's not, it's not simply sitting down and not attending to your experience, but it's actually checking out how things are happening for you and and adjusting accordingly. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, I mean, now over the years now I've learned to, um, let that, let that energy flow during, during my sitting during my actual sit. So yeah. Yeah. But, 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 but yeah, the most, the most important thing for me that I keep learning, I keep learning 
is, is letting things be what mm. they are, including my practice. Yeah. Well, this is really, really interesting, Julia. It's really been helpful. And I'm, I'm wondering, as we kind of come to the end of our time here, you know, usually this is the point where I ask if you have any tips for meditation or tips for people who are listening, who want to bring meditation and daily living closer together. And I feel like given your experience, maybe this can be a little bit more specific. Do you have any other tips for people like yourself who have a difficult history, who have a deep, long trauma history? Any tips for um, beginning to develop a relationship with meditation practice in their life? One of the things, well, the thing, that really helped me develop a daily practice was letting my practice be what it was. And what it was in the beginning wasn't anything like I would think, you know, I thought, well, you you meditate, you sit on a cushion and you just, you know, you sit there in serene bliss. Well, that is not what my meditation practice looked like. When I first started a daily regular practice, I would um, be lying down at night, getting ready to go to sleep. I would just lay there before I went to sleep and um, tune into my body. Or I did lower belly breathing, you know, for for that year before I started taking uh, classes. But letting, letting myself just do that for one minute some mm. days. That was so important for me because there were some days that I could only do one minute. And uh, there were were some days that I could only do three minutes. And there were some days I could do five. Some days I could do 15 or 20. But many days I did three minutes and and let that be okay. That was huge for me uh, because it established that daily practice even if it was a minute but I had my daily practice and you know and now I mean I usually I'm my so my um devotion to my practice has grown over the years and it is it is a non-negotiable part of my my self-care now and I usually you know sit for for an hour and um, but I I would never ever have just even sat down. I remember uh, trying, you know, to start. Uh, there was one uh, the uh, time I in the early two thousands when I did uh, what they call centering prayer, and you're supposed to sit twenty minutes twice a day. Well, I mean that was that that wasn't going to happen. That's not a way. For to start that wasn't a way I could I could start but the one minute I could do that (laughs) so let your practice be what it is yeah what a what a beautiful gift of kindness to conclude on here Mm. Mm. let your practice be what it is Mm. well thank you very much for being here to do today Julia this has been really appreciated I really uh, feel gratitude for your sharing your experience Thank you. And uh, thanks as always to everyone who's listening. 
Um, if you want to learn a little bit more about my work, helping us bring meditation to life, please visit my website at neilmckinley.com. And if you're so inclined, consider signing up for my newsletter, which is a monthly source of teachings and updates and special offers. It's also when it appears in your inbox, a little reminder that meditation can have a place, can play a role in your life. So in the meantime, take care and be well. And let's keep doing this work together, folks. Let's keep bringing meditation to life.